Father and our God, this morning we are that offering. You have given your very best gift to us, the indescribable gift, Lord Jesus Christ. And what can we do in return but give ourselves to you fully, wholly, wholehearted, devoted and dedicated to you, the God who offers to us his unfailing love. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. It's an amazing thing to comprehend or to try and comprehend what unfailing love really is. That our God loves us that much. What a wonderful and a rich time we've had this morning in worship. In worship and praise and singing and prayer and try and grasp all over again. That there's nothing that I can do that would take the love of God away from me. There's nothing that can separate me from the love of God. He loves us. He loves us in our good times. He loves us in our bad times. He loves us when we're frustrated and he loves us when we're enthusiastic and excited about the things of God. He loves us when we're fearful and he loves us when we're courageous. He loves us when we aren't representing him all that well. And he loves us when we bear witness to his greatness to those around us. That's what unfailing means. What a great God we have. And that unfailing love is fashioned in terms of English language by covenant. God has made a contract with us, a covenant of love. I'm sure that um, represented in an audience this large that there are many among us here who have heartaches because we have loved ones or friends, people who have been meaningful in our lives over the years who once walked with Jesus but are not walking with him anymore. Do you know people like that? I don't think there's anything more heartbreaking than to have known people or to know people that, that... had some sort of encounter with Christ. They, they were, from all appearances, walking with him and have turned away from him. And there are a number of factors often that play into that, and they usually are related to contracts that people make. Contracts with people or contracts with interests, contracts in business, the economy... And those contracts with others or other things are contracts that are in opposition to the things of God. And they pull people's hearts away. It happened in Israel back in Joshua's time. It happened to one man. His name was Achan and his family. If you can remember as we go back before Christmas, Achan sinned, his family were were dealt with severely because of their sin. And then Joshua, as leader, gathered all the people at Mount Ebal and uh, determined that they would have a covenant rededication time, a renewal to their commitment to God, their passion and dedication for him. 
they would gather together and be reminded and remind each other of, of how easily it can be all thrown away. This amazing relationship that we have with God. So they gathered there, Joshua chapter 8, verse 30, to rededicate themselves to the covenant God had made with them. <clears throat> now, I, I want to take a, for a moment a parenthetical side journey with you on the whole idea of covenant because maybe we don't understand the nature of, of our covenant relationship with God. We so easily um, cast it aside, it seems. We were created <clears throat> for relationship with God. That's why He created us. The Creator would provide, the creature would depend. It's a perfect arrangement. The first thing that mankind did is to mess up that arrangement by sin. Sin disrupted the nature of our relatedness with God so that now mankind could no longer initiate a relationship with God. So after sin, only God could establish a relationship with people. And so a covenant was developed, a covenant relationship, whereby man could enter into a relationship with God according to the terms and agreements that would be laid down by God. Now, by the way, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, this covenant is, is, is founded, is the reality of this covenant, the aura of this covenant, the essence of this covenant is the, lo- is the love of God. It's a covenant of love. And, and our response to that covenant, that contract that we have with God, is to love Him with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our soul and all of our body. That's relationship. That's what God always had in mind. He would love us with everything that He had and we would love Him back with everything that we have. And there are terms and agreements, terms and conditions that, that, man, that make that happen in what's called a covenant. Now, this covenant is established on the basis of our obedience to those terms and conditions. But God is always the initiator. God does all the initiating. He establishes and brings the promised blessings to pass. And the ones who receive the benefits of those blessings are required to believe. That's what Abraham did in Genesis chapter 15, 6. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. By faith, he believed. And the evidence or proof of that belief is our obedience, whereby we follow through. But sin puts a serious barrier and obstacle in the way of a divine human relationship and must be dealt with. Restoration must take place. That's where, why Joshua summoned all the people together and said, sin, sin has been allowed to come into our lives, into our midst, and God is holding it holding all of us responsible. Israel sinned. That's what it says. They repented of that sin. They dealt with that sin. And now it was time for a rededication of their passions to the covenant that God had given to them. 
In fact, um, the covenant is outlined nicely by the writings of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 29. You are standing here in order to enter into a covenant with the Lord, your God, a covenant the Lord is making with you this day and sealing with an oath to confirm you this day as His people that He may be your God. We're His people. He's our God. It doesn't get better than that. That would be a time for a mm, mm, mm. Come on, my brother. And as he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, um, it says Joshua, verse 30, built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites. And he built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones in which no iron tool had been used. One of the evidences of being in covenant with God is taking his word seriously. That's precisely what Joshua is doing here. He's gathering the people together saying, as for me and my house and as for all of your houses and all of your children, we're going to take God's word seriously. Because we didn't a few days ago. On it, they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. There, in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua copied on stones the law of Moses, which he had written, all Israel, aliens and citizens alike, with their elders, officials, and judges, were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, facing those who carried it. Everybody showed up to church that day. Not like today. Or not like any Sunday here. But there everybody showed up for church. Because there was something really important to deal with. The Word of God. The priests who were Levites, half of the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formally commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. Afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law. By the way, nobody was looking at their watch that day. It takes a long time to read all of the words of the law of God, law of Moses. I'm not setting you up for anything. Don't get nervous. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children, and the aliens who lived among them. Everybody heard the word of God in their own ears. Nobody was excused. By the way, we, um, we live in the time of the new covenant. You understand that, the, that this is the covenant that... The first part of the Bible is the old covenant. The last part of the Bible is the new covenant. It's a covenant of God's love for us and how we can have a relationship with Him. And in this present age, we live in the new covenant whereby the blood of Jesus Christ, our faith in what Christ has done for us, it makes it possible for everyone to be in covenant with God who would believe. That's why Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Relationship with God. 
Made possible, made available. Contract of love. This morning I want to deal with the, uh, the matter of being in covenant with God. And in particular, why should those in covenant with God be cautious about making covenants with others? Because we're going to see in this next few verses, immediately following their dedication of themselves to being in covenant with God, reading all of the words of God. And by the way, they would have heard words like this, for instance, Deuteronomy chapter 7, when the Lord your God brings you into the land you were entering to possess and drives out before you many nations, the Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Seven nations larger and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them. Make no covenant. Make no contract. Show them no mercy. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods and the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. Way down in verse 6, the Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. And the Lord, the Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples for you were the fewest of all the people. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, sovereign God. He is a faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. But those who hate him By the way, there are only two alternatives in life. You either love God or you hate God. You know, wait wait a minute, wait a minute. There's an in-between. There's a, I don't really know, I'm kind of, uh, no, there isn't. There is not. You either love God or you hate God. And those who hate him, he will repay to their face by destruction. He will not be slow to repay to their face those who hate him. Therefore, take care. Take care. On the heels of hearing all of this, they walked out of church and they make a contract with someone some group that are disloyal to God. That makes preachers really upset. You leave church and you do the opposite. So why should those in covenant with God be cautious about making covenants with others? By the way, this is a big, big issue for me. This is, it's, it's a huge issue for God. The first reason is this. There are those who are determined to oppose God and His ways. Look at verse 1 and 2. Now when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, those in the hill country, in the western foothills, and along the entire coast of the great sea, as far as Lebanon, 
And then parenthetically, the guy, the, the nations that were mentioned previously in the covenant that God was making with his people, the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, they came together to make war against Joshua and Israel. Joshua and Israel, in particular, are in covenant with God. And the simple reality is, those people who now have determined to make war against Joshua and Israel, who are in covenant with God, are in fact declaring war on God. He's loyal to his covenant. He's loyal to his treasured possession. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, in covenant with Christ, through the new covenant of Christ's blood, trusting in him in faith that he has died for your sins, you are in covenant with God. He is loyal to you. But there are those who are determined to oppose God and His ways. They choose rebellion rather than repentance because their highest value is self-determination. You see, this covenant that we have with God includes terms and conditions. All, of course, for the highest welfare and well-being of God's people. If it's a covenant of love... God loves us, calls us treasured possessions, then the terms and conditions of our covenant with God are not burdensome. They're not harmful. They don't bog us down. They don't spoil our day. But they do require restraint, self-control from the power and energy of the Holy Spirit. You don't just get to determine your own direction. Eh, That bothers people in the world. They don't like the idea of divine direction. The teachings of Scripture is, do not form close alliances with people who hate God. They had just read the covenant conditions and terms where God had already said to them, if you do this, make make an alliance with these people, they will teach you the detestable things they do. Deuteronomy chapter 20. They will turn your children away from following the Lord. Why is it a big deal to God? This is my treasured possession. You form a contract, an alliance, a close alliance with these people, they will steal you away from me. So make no treaty with them. Close alliances, of course, include business contracts, friendships, marriage, In um, the same Deuteronomy chapter 7, God points out that his concern is more than just marriage. He says there, do not covet their possessions. Because those possessions will possess you. That's what happened to Achan. Achan was part of the community of people whereby God was providing all they need 
as he laid his eyes on some things and wanted them, the truth of the matter is the things had him instead of God. The contract agreement with God was that the people of this this promised land would be totally annihilated. Now, I know that's a struggle for us in a New Testament context to try and understand this. And you've probably no doubt faced a lot of people in terms of witnessing who have said, wow, the God of the Old Testament. I, that's a contract of love. I'm, I'm struggling to understand it. If you go back in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 15, when God was talking to Abraham... The Lord said to him in verse 13, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years, which subsequently took place. Israel ended up going into captivity to Egypt. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. That happened at the Exodus. You, however, will go to your fathers in, a, in peace and be buried at a good old age. That happened. Abraham died. But in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Let me point out something to you about our great God. For 400 years, he had allowed that detestable, Wicked, sinful, debauched people live in the land. Lumped under the term Amorites. And when Joshua and the people, when God determined to bring his people back to his land as he had promised them by covenant, he told Joshua, take off your shoes, well, your sandals, I guess. Because the land you're standing on is what? Holy ground. You know what that means? That means ground set apart for God. That was a holy place. It wasn't a place for sinfulness and immorality and wickedness and debauchery. It belonged to God. And all those years of patience, the Amorites... And all the people groups there rebelled against a patient and long-suffering God who, by the way, they had encountered. It says in the text, when they had heard about these things, what things? They had heard about the great things that God had done for his people. It says in verse 24, your servants were clearly told how the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you the whole land and wipe out all its inhabitants from before you. So we feared for our lives because of you. That is why we did this. But never once did they humble themselves and turn and, and fall on their knees and ask God to be merciful to them. Sinners. Such is the grace of God. We would have welcomed them in. This is a window into the future. 
whereby God's patience will come to a conclusion. This is my Father's world. Do you understand that? This is my Father's world being defiled, debauched. There's coming a day when he will reclaim it for himself. In the meantime, make no covenant with those who determine to oppose God in his ways. There's a second type of people, though. There are those who resort to dishonesty rather than repent. Look at what we have here in verse 3. However, when the people of Gibeon heard that Joshua had done what Joshua had done to Jericho and I, they resorted to a ruse. Do you know what a ruse is? A ruse is deception. It's trickery. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins cracked and mended. The men put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the men of Israel, We've come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. The men of Israel said to the Hivites, But perhaps you live near us. How then can we make a treaty with you? We are your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, Who are you and where do you come from? They answered, Your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard reports of him, all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, Sihon, king of Ashbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, Take provisions for your journey. Go and meet them and say to them, We are your servants. Make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you. But now see how dry and moldy it is. And these wineskins that were filled were new, but see how cracked they are. And our clothes and sandals are worn out by the very long journey. Rather than repent and fall on their knees and ask God to have mercy on them, they pretend because their highest value is self-preservation. Pretenders. You know what we call those people right now? We call them posers. Posers. You all know what posers are, don't you? People who pretend to be what they are not. They would rather compromise, give a little at the front end to make self-preservation a little easier. They'd rather fake than fight. So they resorted to a ruse. And they make a treaty with the nice people of God, so that they could get and benefit from all the, the nice things from these nice people of God. They, they wanted to make a treaty of peace and protection and protection of life and provision of life. Get these very nice people to, to guarantee us peace and life and good things. I, I want to take you on a quick journey of what they pretended to be. Did you notice? It says, um, we come from a distant land, come from a distant country, verse 6. In other words, we are not like the hostile people of this land. We're not like them. We come from a distance. And by the way, I, um, 
I can't help myself zero and focus in on, on the younger people in our crowd today because this whole idea of aligning your life in contract and covenant with someone who's, who's pretending to be interested in your God but is a poser, is a pretender, is a very dangerous exercise. We're not like them. I'm trying to change. Playing upon our sympathy. I need to quit my vices. You know, you can just see the, the, the young man who doesn't love God schmoozing one of our wonderful girls who loves Jesus. I'm trying to quit smoking and quit drinking and you're such a nice girl. I'm sure if I start hanging out with you, it'll be a lot better for me. I notice, though, in the text, although they claim they're Gibeonites, they couldn't hide their nationality from the Lord. He calls them Hivites in verse 7. The men of Israel said to the Hivites... Now, did you, did you catch that? The Hivites were named in this group in verse 1 as those who hate God. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, which... Hours before or days before, we're not really sure, all of the people had gathered and Joshua had preached his little heart out about the Hivites. Don't make a contract with them. Make no treaty. Because see, a Hivite is a Hivite even if he calls himself a Gibeonite. A pretender is a pretender even if he or she calls himself a seeker. Verse 8 says, uh, we are your servants. You see, they're identifying themselves. We are your servants. We want to hang out with you because you're good. You're so nice. I- I'll go to church with you all the time, I promise. That'll I- 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 be part of the deal. I'll-, I'll always go to church with you. Yeah, right. Flattery will get you everywhere. In verse 9 and 10, they, um, they talk about the story of uh, God's exploits in Egypt and, and east of Jordan. They, they were fascinated by your story. Oh, tell us about, tell me about the Bible. And the, the guy puts his arm around the girl and just brings her a little bit closer. You know, I, I want to hear all about the Bible and the stories in the Bible. You tell me all those stories. You notice there that they talk about Egypt and the things the east of Jordan, but they don't talk about current events of Jericho and I, even though they knew about them. Why? Well, because they wanted to pretend that they knew nothing about local things. Trying to hide who they truly are. And then they say, your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of your God. We're enamored by the fame of your God. We're we're really interested in your God. He's such an interesting thing. Your religion is so interesting. I'm so fascinated. Oh, mom and dad, he's so excited about the things of God. He wants to hear about the Bible. He's going to come to church with me. You can tell I'm not into um, dating evangelism. And maybe it's because in the area of posers, 
people who've been pretended to be interested in God. I've had a 100% failure rate. Those people who um, pretend to be interested in God so they can get some charitable contributions from Calvary. I'm, I've just been thinking. I've been thinking about Jesus. I'm, I'm going to turn my life over to Jesus. Could you give me 50 bucks? I'm, re- I'm really, I, I, you know what? I'm going to start reading the Bible all this year. I'm going to come to church. To the uh, Christian young people among us who fall into the romantic trap of self-interested posers, it would be a 100% failure rate. And to those who enter into the world of business partnerships with posers who pretend that they will honor your ethical values if you will just partner with them Invest in their ideas before the ink is dry. The moral promises that are made are out the window. What's the big deal again? There are... um, those among us who would risk their very identity in Christ by getting sloppy with covenant choices and contracts. Did you notice that um, the four we are's that I just shared with you, identity statements of these posers, not one of them was true. They were part of the outwardly hostile people groups who hated God for the last four generations. They were not intending to be servants of Israel. They were not in the least fascinated by their escape from Egypt. And they weren't interested in the fame of God. They were interested in self-preservation. The men of Israel, verse 14, sampled their provisions but did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live. And the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. So the Israelites set out and on the third day came to their cities, Gibeon, Kephirah, Beroth, and Kiriath-Jerim. But the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. And the whole assembly grumbled against the leaders But all the leaders answered, We have given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them now. Make no mistake about it. Close associations always shape your identity. Always. In Amos 3.3, Can two walk together unless they agree to? Compromise always has to take place. If you covenant for business peace and prosperity and business success, you must deliver on that promise. If you covenant to marry, guaranteeing marriage, and I know something about these promises. I've presided over a few. I've counseled through many. You promise for better or for worse. That covenant you make is a guarantee of marriage. 
You're guaranteed to be married. You make an employment contract. You're guaranteed work. If you want your place to be a place of morality, who you contract yourself with is what you contract yourself to. As a result of this alliance and contract and covenant, they could no longer do what God wanted them to do in its fullest. They were compromising the very precision of the will of God. Right on the heels of covenant loyalty, rededication to the Lord. This covenant they were making was going to jeopardize the covenant they just rededicated themselves to. Beloved, there are all kinds of contracts in life. There is one contract that you have that supersedes all other contracts. There is one primary contract you have, and that is the contract you have with Christ. All other contracts must be viewed through the grid of whether or not they will hinder or hamper or dampen or damage the contract you have with God. That's what this rededication and this loyalty ceremony was all about. They were rededicating themselves to the covenant relationship. They were going to be totally loyal to God. Their first action is to water it down by becoming aligned and allied with a people group that would dampen their alliance with God. Now, I want to conclude with um, very quickly here by just pointing out to you for your own practical help some red lights that these people breeze through without paying any attention. Red lights to disaster, the lights they passed on the way to the wreck. The first one is this. When something doesn't feel right, it probably isn't. Do you notice, after they had said they came from a distant country in verse 6, it says, the men of Israel said to the Hivites, but perhaps you live near us. There's just a sense where, you know what, guys, something just doesn't smell right here. Some, and, of course, these guys that traveled from a distant land, so they probably stunk quite a bit, but something doesn't feel right. How many times do you walk through that? You have. Now, by the way, I'm not, you know me well enough to say this is not how I govern my life. It's all about feelings. But you ought to pay attention to them. If something doesn't feel right, maybe it isn't right. Notice something else. The second red light they went through. It says they came from... A, you, said, you said, where did you come from again? It says at the end of verse 8, who are you? Where did you say you come from again? Your servants come, come from a very distant country. When something doesn't sound right. Now, how does this not sound right? Well, think about it. If they were from a distant country, why did they need a treaty with Israel at all? They, they, by their own uh, admission, are claiming that, uh, that, that God is going to clear the land. Well, they're not part of the land, so what do they care? If something doesn't sound right, 
it probably isn't right. The other thing I notice here, thirdly, is methinks they protested too much. Have you ever had that kind of thing going on in an interaction where people are trying to sell you? Some salesman's trying to sell you something? I always revert to the Shakespearean thing. Methinks the man protests too much. You know, if this thing is any good, why are you blabbing so much? Why do you have to talk so much? If you pay attention to this thing, it says, We have come from a distant land. Look at our sandals. They're all worn out. Look at our wineskins. Look at our donkeys. Haven't they been ridden a long way? Look at all this thing that's going on. And then as if it's not good enough, they say, they do another round. Hey, by the way, we've come from a distant land. Look at our sandals. Look at our wineskin. Look at our bread. It's all crumbling. We left. It was hot. Blah, 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 blah. You know what? Methinks, methinks they were protesting too much. The scriptures it says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. If this was the truth, and they were dealing with intelligent leaders from another nation, wouldn't these men have just taken a look at things and said, made their own deduction? But here's the biggie, the fourth red light. Did you catch it when I was reading verse 14? The men of Israel sampled their provisions but did not inquire of the Lord. The red light of Scripture and prayer never bypassed that. They sampled the provision. They looked at this crusty bread. Human observation trumped divine revelation and inquiry. I mean, think about it, how foolish that is. Things can be tampered with. Human things, physical things. Today, beyond our wildest imagination, technology can can cause things to seem as if they are and they are not. Of all people, we as God's people in this era better be careful not to pay attention to what we see with our eyes and human observation and ignore the divine revelation and calling out to God. I I have a feeling that uh, they probably looked at each other and said, ah, this is such a... We have so many... Big fish to fry. You know, we got all those nations lined up against us. A few people want to be in peace with us. Isn't that a good thing? Uh, let's not bug God with this. This is just too small. This small potatoes. You know what? If you ever say that, you need to covenant with somebody who you love that they would slap you in the head. Okay? If you ever say... That if you ever hear it come out of my mouth, this, this is too small for God. We're not going to bother God with this. You ever hear me say that? Tim, I know you've wanted this opportunity. <laughs> Just a good slap across the head. We are not capable. There's a fifth. They did no background check. No test of time or truth. A lasting and binding agreement was made on oath, which includes conditional self-curses. They attached God's name to this contract. They had to follow through. Let me just say that, um, because our time is gone. By the way, Pastor Calvin's going to take us on a journey of the sequel to the story. What The rest of the story. Tonight. Come out tonight. Joshua chapter 10. So what do you do when you messed up? Because clearly they did. The people are grumbling. Everybody's thinking, Joshua, you know what? You started out as a great leader, but now we're not so sure. What do you do? 
when you've messed up by making a covenant with someone you shouldn't have. Because by the way, I, I guess we all know that God is a gracious God. We better infuse the conclusion of this with God's grace. Because some of you might be out there feeling really bad right now because you said, you know, I wish I'd heard this sermon three years ago before I got into this contract I'm in, before I got so heavily involved in this relationship I'm in. I wish I'd heard this a while ago. What are you going to do now? Well, let me just give you a fast forward that the, the amazing grace of God is that the Gibeonites ended up being, of course, part of the community. But... God's grace, you see Gibeonites who've come to faith in God down through the pages of Scripture. God has a way of being gracious even in our foolishness. But let me just say quickly, don't break the covenant. You make a contract with somebody and God's good name is on the line. Don't compound the problem now by breaking covenant and and connecting God to a lie. These people, Joshua and the leadership said, look, we, we... we made this promise. We made this contract with these people. We made it under oath in God's name. We're going to follow through with it. We're going to guarantee these people um, protection and safety and life. That's why Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 7 to the believers who ended up being married to some unbelievers. He said there, don't break your marriage. If the unbeliever is willing to live with you, then live with them. It says there the children are sanctified by the believing partner. The other places of Scripture says, who knows? But by your good testimony, you might win the person to the Lord. I'm talking to you, first of all, about not getting into these contracts. But once you have, then what? The second is, but do follow scriptural guidelines. You see, here's what, here's what um, Joshua did. He went to the scriptures and he said, they, they claimed they were from a distant country. Okay, fine. We'll treat them like they're from a distant country. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 10, when you march up to attack a city, make its people an offer of peace. If they accept and open their gates, all the people in it shall be subject to forced labor and shall work for you. This is a people from a distant land. So Joshua says, you want, to, you want to tell us you're from a distant land? Okay, we'll treat you as you're from a distant land. We'll bring you into our community, but we will force you into servant labor for the rest of your existence. And that's what he did. He followed scriptural guidelines. Their mischief jeopardized their situation in life, caused unintended consequences, and they had to bear the price for that. So the leader's promise was kept. But know this. The total unhindered loyalty to God would always be at risk to them and their children. And a high emotional toll is always expended on the high maintenance of bad covenants. That's what Pastor Kelvin will talk about tonight. So to whom, by the way, and to what you covenant significantly impacts the quality of your go big vision. Let me just close with this and then I'll pray and we'll be finished. I want to just simplify the whole issue for you. You, if you are a believer and a follower of Christ, you are in covenant with Jesus Christ. The covenant. The contract of your existence. 
There will be all kinds of other contracts that come your way. Contracts of business, contracts of marriage, contracts of interests and hobbies, contracts that obligate you to financial things. Don't sign any contract before you first run it past the grid of the contract. I don't care whether you sign the contract for cable TV. It, it, it will impact your covenant with God. Jesus made his contract with us and signed it with his blood to show us how much he loved us. In return, we are called upon to live out a a loyalty to our contract with God. Do not come into a contract with someone who hates your God. Our Father, your word is put before us. And now we place our hearts before the Holy Spirit to engage an application in every arena of our lives. And as we look at the front end of this year, I pray, Father, that our covenant with you might be the sole commitment that occupies our heart. So I pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you.